you know, I was just going to clarify something that uh, I know we're used to saying Happy Easter, but uh, the reality is that term didn't start till about the 8th century. And uh, this is just a, this is not the sermon, this is just a fun fact. But it came from the goddess of spring called Iestra. And uh, the Christians, which was celebrated the same time of the year, was this goddess of spring, which, by the way, they would offer sacrifices to. And so it was about the same time as Passover, so from that we came up with Happy Easter. But uh, to me, it's kind of like saying Happy Holidays around Christmas. Uh, It's Resurrection Sunday. And you know what the early church used to do throughout the whole communities? They would come up to each other and say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Joy. That's what they, how we'd greet each other in the market, at home, and everywhere. Everybody would be walking. You picture that? In those early church days, every time you'd see someone, you'd see, you know, on Easter Sunday, which we call it now, we'd say, He is risen. And everybody would say, Oh, He is risen indeed. And that's how you'd greet people in the streets. And what a glorious way to, to greet each other. So we're going to practice. He is risen. He is risen indeed. One more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes. Doesn't go over well at Target, but it's uh, it's <laughs> it's okay. We can still say it. So, t- as Jim said today, I appreciate his opening uh, statements. Just that uh, today, today really, as Christians, we celebrate the most significant day in history. And uh, why is this the why is the Resurrection Sunday the most significant day in history? Um, let me just. Is kind of laying the groundwork here. I just want to show a little text on why it's why it is the most important uh, day in history. If you look up here, First uh, Corinthians fifteen twelve through nineteen, what it says here is, uh, "But if it is preached that Christ has raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised." And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all of a people most to be pitied. So the reality is, the reason this is the most important day in the history is that without it, we might as well stay home on Sunday mornings because preaching is worthless. Our faith is worthless. We're all still in our sins and we're hopeless without the resurrection, without the empty tomb. And it says we're to be pitied among all else. Now, you know, we're going to talk about the resurrection today, obviously, but I just wanted to share with you, there's a lot of things we could talk about. We could talk about the historical facts Right? I mean, you may not know this, but you know, there's, there's a lot of history that verifies that Christ rose from the dead. I'm not just talking about the Christian 
records which we find in the Bible. Come on in. Welcome. Not, not only the Christian documents, but the Romans recorded the documents that the tomb was empty and all the scuttle that went. Josephus, an independent historian, recorded it. And even the Jews recorded the issue about the empty tomb. We could talk about that. We could also talk about the fact that there was over 500 witnesses that saw the, saw the resurrected Lord. And we could talk about all that through the Scriptures. We could also talk about the fact that the apostles died. Most of them were martyred. Now let me ask you this. If, and all they had to do was deny Christ and live, do you think they all would have died if Christ did not raise from the dead? Would they die for a lie? So, so I want to tell you, there's a lot of things we could talk about as it relates to the, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But today I'm going to talk to you about seven undeniable proofs that by far outweigh all these facts I just quoted to you. Seven undeniable proofs that the, that the tomb is empty. If the, with that in mind, if you turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, I love the fact that the Lord lets us stay right in the text we're in. We don't need to move. We just keep moving through Romans. And He gave us the perfect text for Easter Sunday. You may not be amazed at that. I am amazed at that. I'm going to tell you, I've got a confession to make. I was digging deep. I had a sermon out of the book of Hosea. Hosea and Gomer, I've been working at but I didn't have peace with it. I said, you know what, let me pray over the text that's coming next out of the book of Romans. And God gave me a sermon out of the next piece of text. Isn't that? It's a miracle. So if you would, open uh, to chapter 5, 1 through 11. And if you would, please stand as we read God's Word for today. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, but because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been now justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Give a blessing to read the word. Amen. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. Kevin's another one of those positive proofs that the tomb is empty since he recently joined the family of God. So praise God for that. So let's look at these undeniable proofs. The first thing I want you to realize is that every one of us was born an enemy of God. You know, be, because 
we were all born with a sinful nature. And not only that, we chose to sin. We all chose to sin. We all chose to disobey the Word of God. We all chose to disobey the will of God. And because of that, we were all born enemies of God. Now I want you to picture this as well. Is Picture this, that you were born onto the battlefield of life. Every one of us was born on the battlefield of life. And, and the sad truth is, we were all born on Satan's side. Can you picture that? We were all born on Satan's side of this battlefield of life. I'm not talking about a physical battle. I'm obviously talking about a spiritual battle. We were all born fighting on the side of Satan. And that's what makes us enemies of God. Now, if you're like me, you probably, some of you maybe said at one time, maybe even still today, I'm not on Satan's side. I was never on Satan's side. Oh yeah, I, I, some of you may say, well, I went to church. I was raised in the church. Some of you may have said, I never went to church. I, I don't read the Bible. But I was never on the devil's side. I wasn't a devil worshiper. But the reality is, the Scripture is clear. Look what Jesus said up here. He said, you belong to the Father, your Father, the devil, and you want to carry out your Father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, we like to think that we were innocent You know, we might have thought we were in neutral territory, but brothers and sisters, family and friends, there is no neutral territory. You're on one side or the other. Either you're under the father of lies, Satan himself, or you're under Jesus Christ. There's no, there's no, you're either lost or you're saved. You're either heading, I hate to say this, but it's Easter, let's talk about it. You're either heading to hell or you're heading to heaven. There's no middle ground in any of that, brothers and sisters. And the reality is we were all born as enemies of God. Amen. So let's look at seven proofs that the tomb is empty. And obviously the the most significant reason the tomb is empty is because without the tomb being empty, we couldn't move from Satan's side to the Savior's side. We couldn't move from death to life. We couldn't move from hell to heaven without the empty tomb. So let's look at these seven proofs together. Starting off in verse 1 here. It said, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we've been talking about that here at the Oasis for a number of weeks, but it says, who is he talking to here? Is he talking to believers or unbelievers? He's talking to believers. It says, since we, including himself, have been justified through faith. Now we've been talking about this for weeks, but let's review it. The reality is, again, all of us born as enemies of God, there had to be a change in our life. There had to be an awakening to the reality of that truth, did there not? There had to be a point in everyone's life that we saw our own sinfulness and His holiness and His righteousness, and at that point we surrendered our life to Jesus Christ. Now we beat this up enough, but let's hit it just briefly. We can't work our way to heaven. I don't care how good you think you are, and you can compare yourself to everybody else, Unless you've been born again, unless you've seen your own sinfulness and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you are still lost. And that's what it means to be justified. Justified is a a legal term calling justice. God, the holy, righteous God of the universe, demanded justice. And the sins of the world needed to be paid for. And I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, we didn't have enough credit 
to pay for it ourselves. So the wrath of God, the wrath of God had to be poured upon the Savior, Jesus Christ, as He hung on the cross. Your sins, my sins, all the wrath had to be poured upon Him to pay for those sins. It's the only way they could be rightly dealt with is through Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what he's talking about here. But now let's get into the seven truths. So I'm assuming that you understand the gospel, that that's the only one way someone is saved, is to surrender their life to Jesus, realize their sinfulness, and turn their life over to Christ. But here's the first reality that the tomb is empty. Look what it says next. It says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That's the first undeniable proof that the tomb is empty. We would not have peace with God if the tomb was not empty. Now this isn't like we think of uh, worldly peace. In fact, let me sh- look up here for a minute. Let me show you scripture that Jesus said here in John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, Jesus said. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and not do, be, do not be afraid. Now, brothers and sisters, if you're sitting here today and you're a born-again believer, you know that at the moment you surrendered your life, you entered into peace with God. Do you, do you get that? You, you picture this. You, you, were on the enemy, you were on the battlefield of life and you were under Satan's rule. You, Father of lies was your boss. He was your God. Little G God. And at the moment you surrendered your life, you instantly entered into peace with God and you became adopted into the family of God. You became a child of God. You became brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And that is what the peace is. It's not a peace of, oh, I feel good right now. It's a peace for eternity that you're right with God. Now, if you're a sinner believer, you can't deny that peace lives within you. If you're not a born-again believer, you don't have that peace right now. You're still in the battlefield of life. You're still trying to figure things out. So the first one is that we have peace with God. Undeniable proof that the tomb is empty. It's a reality. See, what I want to show you today is that the spiritual realities are much more important than the physical facts that I could prove to you. Hang with me and you'll see why. Look at, look at the second one. The second truth here. Through whom we've gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Uh, Romans 5, 2a. Let me show you something here. Look up here for a minute. See, here's a model of the temple. I just want to show to you what, what this means to have access to God. See, now this, this was the original temple. Uh, this is Herod's temple, the second temple mount. And, and see, here, do you see this? this is, in here is the Holy of Holies. That's where the very presence of God would reside on the Ark of the Covenant. Out here, you see, it says Gentiles' court. See, access to God was very limited. Do you see all the walls and gates? Remember the size of this is the size of a football field, and this is the size of this thing, so it's a huge place. But all these walls and gates prevented the Gentiles from getting too close to the presence of God. Now here's the Jewish women's court right here. They got a little closer, but we still see walls and gates. Here's the Jewish men, again, walls and gates. Here's the priests themselves, a little closer, but they still are prevented from entering into the presence of God. Now once a year, a little history, everybody okay? All right. So, so once a year, the high priest 
of the Jews was, was, was required to go into the Holy of Holies. And they, all the Israelites during the Passover would come and slay the lamb and all the blood would be mixed together in a large blood bowl. And then the high priest would take this mixture of all the family's mixed blood sacrifices. He'd go into the Holy of Holies and he'd have to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of God on the Ark of the Covenant as a covering for the sins of the people. All right. Now let me tell you this. The high priest had a belt, but during this, this uh, once a year when he went into the Holy of Holies, he had a very long belt that would be, he would have to drag this long belt behind him, which would stay out of the Holy of Holies, and he had a bell ringing on him. Now why would that be? Because if the bell stopped ringing, that means his heart wasn't right, and he dropped dead in there. And the long rope was because they couldn't go in there. They had to pull him out of the Holy of Holies. And I would have hated to be the number two man, right? Okay, you're up. Because we still got to get our sins covered here. So someone else, hey, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> I'm not clean. I'm not right. But that is, what you want to see is the limited access to God. And how fearful it was to be in the presence of God. It obviously could equate to death. But look at this. Look at this scripture here from Matthew 27, 51. It says here, at that moment, what moment? At the moment the sins of the world were poured upon Jesus Christ as He hung on the cross. Are you with me? Everybody? As the sins were poured upon Him, and He said, Father, Father, why do You forsaken Me? And then what did He say after that? It is finished. And He commanded His Spirit into the hands of the Father. At that moment, what does it say happened? This huge curtain, by the way, it was over six inches thick. It would be like trying to rip 20 phone books stacked on top of each other. This huge curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the people was torn from the top to the bottom. That's significant because as you looked at that structure, it's 30, 40 feet tall, this curtain is. But it's ripped from the top to the bottom to show that God is the only one that could break that veil. Do you see that? That curtain. Now let me just show you this. I mean, this shows us what that means to us this access to God. It said, Therefore, brothers and sisters, Hebrews 10, 19-23, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that, brings, that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So what we see now as believers, one thing I want you to see is we have access to the Holy of Holies based on the blood of Jesus that was shed, it says there in Hebrews. But also it says we have a great high priest See, and that means the tomb is empty, that He was resurrected. He now sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Isn't that unbelievable? See, that, that's, what so, that's what it says there because that's what we need because Jesus, see, now, is, now we, you know, can you imagine being Jewish? Once a year, wherever I lived, I had to go with my little blemishless lamb and make my journey to, to Jerusalem so that I could have that blood sacrifice. So in some remote way, I was having access to God. I think we take it for granted. We have access to God 24-7. We can talk to God any day, any time, any place. 
I can be working in, in a meeting and in my head I'm talking to God, right? You no, can't limit us. We can talk to God anywhere we are at any time. Unlimited access to God that was purchased not only through His death, but through His resurrection because now our prayers by the Holy Spirit that lives within us, which we'll get to, go up to Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father and He interprets and intercedes for us to God the Father. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. That's because the tomb is empty. Let's look at the third one here. I just wanted to, just something came to my heart here. Uh, just so you know, Jim's going to be going for surgery on Tuesday morning. It's a it's a significant surgery. He's having a hip replacement, so uh, you know it's it's a major surgery. So just keep Jim in your prayers on Tuesday as the Lord leads. You okay with that? That's a commercial interruption. Now back to the program. It says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You know, I don't know about you, but I hear people boasting about a lot of things in this world. Do you not? And I'll tell you what, I was guilty of boasting about a lot of things too. Where's Abigail going? Wow, look at she looks beautiful. Why don't you bring her up here? Let's all see her for a second. It's Easter. Oh my goodness. Turn around, let everybody see that dress she has on and that headband, huh? How about that? Praise the Lord for you. That's awesome. Of course she does. She just wanted to get in front. Beautiful. I don't have ADD. I know it seems like it right now, but um, but the hope of the glory of God. I was just talking about how we... We all like to boast about a lot of things, but you could, you, could you imagine anything greater to boast about? That's what he's talking about, the glory of God we're boasting about. We're boasting because we have peace with God. Come on, you've got to get fired up. You're no longer God's enemy. Your destiny is heaven. You're children of God. I can boast about that. I can boast about the fact that I have access to God 24-7. Nothing can stop me from talking to my God. You can put me in prison. You can beat me. You can do whatever you want. I'm talking to my God. You can't stop me. In fact, you don't even know what I am. How about that? Right? And then the glory of God. Now, I want to talk about this for a minute. Look up here for a second. Stay with me. I'm going to give you your full Easter, Easter's worth of message today. Look at this scripture because I want to explain what this means that we hope in the glory of God. We'll spend a, a sermon on this when we get to this verse, but look at here. It says, for, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Yeah, thank you. So, let me just share this with you, the reality of this verse. We'll get into it, but everybody that was ever going to be saved from the, before the world was created, his name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay? And then at a specific point in time, ordained by God, he called us, it says here. See this? He called us. He called you out of the darkness into the light. He called you by name to be saved. Right? In fact, everybody just say your name out loud. Oh, come on. <laughs> that was not an Easter name. Say, can you say your name out loud. Yeah, yeah amen. Because I don't want to start singling people out. He called you by name and brought you out of the darkness and into the light. 
And then it says He justified you. You see that? He saved you. But here's the other thing. Look what He says. And He glorified you. Now, let me tell you this. That's a now and not yet truth. We're glorified from the standpoint that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And I'm telling you what, that's holy ground. That's glorified ground where the Holy Spirit lives within us. But I don't know about you, I still have a problem. This flesh. This sinful nature, right? So we know we're not fully glorified yet. But, we, he's, but you know, I love this. God speaks of it as it's already happened. You know why? Because whatever God says is going to happen, it's going to happen. So when He speaks of the future, He's speaking of an absolute, not a I hope so. It's an absolute. So He's saying for each one of us that has been saved, that He called, we answered, we were saved and justified, that we will be glorified. And let me just tell you this too. Don't ever believe a lie that you can lose your salvation. Because it's very clear right there, you've already been glorified. If God says you're glorified, nobody can take that away. If you are truly saved, you're saved forever. Because He's already said, when I saved you, I also glorified you, even though it's now and not yet. We'll spend more time in that verse when we get to it. But just, I want you to understand this glorification. Now here's what's really, I'm pumped up about this. Because look at these three truths right off the bat. It says, you know, here, the proof the tomb is empty is that we have peace with God. Now hear this. I'm losing my breath, I'm so excited. We have peace with God, and that deals with our past. Do you see that? The, when we came into peace with God, that dealt with all the sins of our past, right? You with me, Darnell? Okay, I know you've been with your grandkids. I'm going to lose you here. But that deals with our past. Now look at the second one. It says we have access to God. Guess what? So the first deals with the penalty of sin, the sin of the past. The second one deals with the power of sin. Since we have access to God, we are no longer under the power of sin. Through God, He can help us overcome things. We can resist temptation. Do we always know? But we have the power now within us by, the, by access to God to, to resist uh, temptation, overcome sin. And the third one, which is really awesome, when we get to be fully glorified, guess what? The third P, we will no longer be in the presence of sin. So it deals with our past for the penalty of sin. The second one deals with the, the current, the today, because we no longer have the power of sin over us. And the third one deals with our future. We'll no longer have the presence of sin. The tomb's empty. He is risen. So that's number three. We have seven. So pace yourself, Darnell. Pace yourself back there. Look at this. The next one here. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is the fourth undeniable proof that the tomb is empty. Peace with God, access to God, glorification, and now this hope, faith. You know, I don't know about you, but you know, I know, most of you know I didn't come to Christ until later in life, but when, when hardships came into my life, sufferings and trials, I grumbled and complained. Did you? It didn't make sense. You know what I'd say? I'm having a, I'm having a, a bit of bad luck here, right? Does anybody else say that? A bad luck or you know, maybe the stars aren't aligned right or I got bad karma. I didn't use that, but it sounds good. But I'm just saying the reality is, is it was a self-focused suffering. It didn't make any sense to me, right? But here's the point. What we see here is now suffering has a purpose for those who believe. 
God doesn't waste any pain or suffering in the believer's life. And here's the cool thing about it, why the tomb is empty, is that even in our suffering, He is sanctifying us. He's transforming us more into the image of Jesus Christ. So when suffering comes, we can embrace it because we know God's allowing it for our good and His glory. Isn't that awesome? Every, every part of our life has purpose and meaning because the tomb is empty, including our suffering. You know, let me just say this too, is that, um, you know, a good, a good thing to examine yourself on because, you know, transformation is a slow process. You know, I always say God's a crockpot God and we're a microwave culture. But the reality is, is that, um, you know, you have to examine yourself as how much has God changed you from a year ago? How much has God changed you from five years ago? And what I'm saying is to make sure that you're truly saved, you should be seeing a sanctification process in your life. You shouldn't be fighting the same battles. You shouldn't be having the same problems. You should be getting changed by God. If you're still fighting the same battles, you have to examine yourself whether you're really a follower of Christ. Okay, let's look at the next one, the fifth one. And look at this one. Romans 5, 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame. Let's just talk about that for a minute. Um, hope does not put us to shame. What? Why are we tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? Rejection, people not liking us, acceptance, right? I mean, isn't it funny? It's it's kind of hard to tell someone you love they had a they got a bad haircut, right? Or how about someone that outfit doesn't look so good on you? Or let's get even more intense. Hey, you're putting some weight on. Is that easy to tell people you love those kind of truths? Or how about this one? I really think you got an anger problem, right? See, I mean, what, what do we tend to do? I walked around this confession. I walked around my office all day with my fly open. No one told me. Didn't find out until I got home. That's embarrassing. Someone tell me my fly is open. Tell me somebody I got a bad haircut. Tell me that outfit doesn't look good on me. I'd rather hear the truth. Wouldn't you rather hear the truth as followers of Jesus? Especially the fly open one. But... And hopefully nobody saw it. That's what you think, right? Maybe hopefully nobody saw that. I didn't mean to go here, Jim. I'm sorry. That just came to my mind. <laughs> but it's Easter. So, <laughs> so here, but here's the deal. Now we've got to come to someone, okay, someone we love. We've got to say, I've got to talk to you that you're a sinner. We're all sinners. And I'm telling you that you're a sinner and there's a holy, righteous God and apart from you confessing and repenting and realizing that, you're going to spend eternity in hell. And the only way you get saved is through the finished work of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And it's through grace alone and faith alone you're saved. And you come and tell someone that hard news. I could tell you, Kevin and I were talking about this in our, in our time together this week. And I, Kevin's seeing this in his own life because he's bringing the gospel. See, he's, he's a new believer, so he's bringing the gospel to lost family and friends. Now what happens when we do that? A few get saved, most don't. And the reality is when we bring the gospel to them, our relationship with them has changed forever. Anybody amen on that? Amen. I got people that were close friends and I shared the gospel with them. I haven't talked to them in over 20 years. They've, they've totally 
cut me out of, and Mary too, our friends, both of us, they've cut us out of their life completely. They don't want to be around us. And even when we're together with family, which we're, you have to do, and there's unsaved family, it's still, it's never been the same since we brought the gospel into that setting. I think that's why we're ashamed of it. It's, it's a hard work. But let me encourage you, as you share the gospel, God always brings new relationships into your life. He brings brothers and sisters in the Lord that, I mean, are uncomparable in my past relationships. So don't ever fall into that lie that you're trying to keep things together with lost family and friends. You've got to tell them. My biggest fear is that we'll be there before the judgment seat and I'm going to have someone that I know, a family or friend, stand next to me and he's going to say to me, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me the gospel? Wouldn't that be terrible? Isn't it better to share the gospel and deal with the consequences now than to stand there at the judgment seat of God? Of course, we know that can't be possible because of predestination election, but I'm just saying that thought of, even if they're saved, why didn't you tell me? Okay, so the hope to put to shame, we should not be shameful. But here's, here's another reason we shouldn't be shameful. Look what it says here in the text. It's because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he's given us. Isn't that amazing? You want to prove the tomb is empty? The very Holy Spirit of God lives within you. And it fills you with God's love. Are you filled with God's love? See, the reason we don't have shame and the hope that we have because no matter what the world does to us, we are complete. God doesn't, by the way, God doesn't give you 50%. He gives you 100 plus percent. You are completely filled with the love of God. And every time someone's rejected the gospel or someone's turned against us, we have the love of God living within us. And he comforts us. You know, when everybody else turns against us, family, friends, loved ones, when anybody else is against us, God is always there to put his arm around us, to love us, to encourage us, to equip us. So we should never be ashamed. Now look at these next verses. He just gives an illustration of the, of the love of God in verse 6 through 8. It says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Perfect example of God's love. Okay, let's go on to the sixth one here. You know, I think of that, that dying for one of us. You know, we do see sometimes, here's an, here's an illustration for you. You know, we do hear in the news sometimes in the battlefield where a, a soldier will dive on a hand grenade to save his comrades, right? We do hear occasionally someone will die for, for those he loves. But we don't often hear where, in the, in the military sense, that a soldier dives on a hand grenade to save the enemy, right? You don't hear those. But that's exactly what Jesus did. That's what he's saying. He said, I died when you were my enemies. I went to the cross when you were my enemies as a proof of my love. Okay, the sixth undeniable proof that the tomb is empty. We have peace with God. We have access to God. We've got glorification now and not yet. We're being sanctified. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, fills us with God's love. And the next one, we've been saved from the wrath of God, the security of the believer. 
it says here, uh, verse 9, says, since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's, God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having recon- been reconciled, shall we be saved through His, through his life? And, and really, the reality there is, if you can picture this again to those that say you can lose your salvation, I mean, I don't know what they do with this text, because what it's saying is that if God loved us so much that He died for us when we were His enemies, now that we're children of God, adopted into God's family, Christ has been raised, it says He's living, He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us. Do you ever think that God's going to... It says the wrath of God is... is is God going to let you lose your salvation? Is, is Jesus going to let you lose your salvation? Is he going to let the wrath of God come on you? No, you're, you're safe and you're secure. You're, you're in God's family now. Do you see that? You're secure. Do you believe that? Yes. Okay, one last one. The seventh one. Is... Uh, Verse 11 here, it says, not only is this so, I mean, by goodness. I mean, it's almost as he's saying, this is overwhelming. It should be overwhelming to us. It's even overwhelming to the author who's recording God's words here. He says, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received reconciliation. So, brothers and sisters, listen up here for just a couple minutes. It says, we have, so we have peace with God, we have access to God, we have the promise of glorification, now and not yet. We face suffering and trials with purpose as God grows our character and it builds our faith. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, overfilled with God's love. He promised that we will not experience the wrath of God. And finally, it says here, we've received reconciliation with God. I mean, this is one that really overwhelms me because what a God we serve. Not only did He save us, not only did He promise us heaven, but the reality is He wants to have an intimate relationship with us. That's what reconciliation is, right? He wants us to be one with Him. The, you guys fired up? Come on now. The reality is He wants to be in an intimate relationship with us. Are you just, is this manna to you? It's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, he, he, you know, in the morning when you get up, He wants to meet with you. Jesus is waiting wherever your quiet place is to meet with you. He wants, you to, he wants to speak to you through His living Word. He wants to encourage you and equip you for because He knows what trials you're going to see in the day. He, he wants to prepare you for that. He knows when you're down and out. He just comes along. Sometimes He's just quiet and puts His arm around you and listens to you weep. He wants to hear your sins. He wants to be in an intimate relationship with you. That's our God. Unbelievable. So here it is. I don't really care what history says. I've read it. I know the facts. It's interesting. I love the dilemma about the empty tomb and how the Jews made spread these lies. Those are great things. I love the fact that the apostles were so believing in this faith that they were willing to die for the the fact that the tomb was empty. Those are great truths. But the undeniable truth that the tomb is empty lives within all of us. It's undeniable. And I hear Christians, well, I don't have the apologetics to deal with this or that. A word my grandma used, malarkey. 
I don't know what that means, but that's what she would say to us. But that, that's, that's unacceptable. You don't need to be an apologist. You don't need to all the facts because the proof of the empty tomb lives within every believer. They can't deny it. When you talk about you're at peace with God, I have access to God, the Holy Spirit lives within me, what are they going to say? Talk about how your life is being changed by God. They can't, they can't argue those truths. So here's a question for you. Do those around you know the tomb is empty? By your life, do they know the tomb is empty? When they see you, I'm not talking about what you say, when they see your life, do they know the tomb is empty? Are you filled with love, joy, joy, hear that one? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are the fruits of the Spirit flowing out of you naturally? And when they look at you and they go, what is up with him or her? And they come to you and say, let me tell you what's up with him up with me the tomb's empty that's what's up with me and you can share the gospel he is risen let's pray father we're just overwhelmed with gratitude that the, that you sent your son that he was perfect in life perfect in death and perfect in glory father we thank you for all these undeniable truths that you've placed within us that we are without excuse as it comes to the emptiness of your tomb. So Lord, we pray that as people look at our lives, they will see the empty tomb. They will see the fruits of the Spirit coming out of us so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for interceding for us. Thank you for dying for us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.